Chapter 20 of For Treasure Bound. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ken Felt. For Treasure Bound by Harry Collingwood. Chapter 20 The Treasure. This eventful day it was unanimously agreed, should be observed as a strict holiday. No work, except what was absolutely necessary beyond the launch being permissible. Every preparation had been completed the day before, all of us having worked like galley slaves to achieve this result as soon as it became apparent that launching on this day might be possible. The morning dawned fair and serene, the sky was without a cloud, each quivering leaf and blade of grass glittered with diamond-like dewdrops, and the air was laden with the perfume of numberless flowers. Nature appeared, in fact, to have arrayed herself in gala attire in honor of the occasion. Bob and Winter were up by daybreak to dress the schooner out with the flags of the old Amazon, in addition to a brand-new burgee, red with a white border, and the name Ada, after my sister, in white letters, which floated gallantly in the breeze from the main topmast head, and which, I need scarcely inform the sagacious reader, was the work of Ella's skillful fingers. The cutter's flags were equally divided between her and the tube-boat, both craft being moored a short distance apart in the little bay. Our gun, which had never been dismounted from the time of the fight with the pirate's boats, was loaded with a blank cartridge, well rammed down, and the muzzle plentifully greased to create a louder report, so that the schooner might be honored with a salute as she took the water. And one of the blanks was stationed on board the water lily, with instructions to pull the trigger line directly he saw the schooner fairly in motion on the ways. A bottle of wine was also slung from the schooner's stem, that the ceremony of christening might not be shorn of its usual rite. This occupied the two mates until breakfast was ready, when we all sat down to the meal in most exuberant spirits. As soon as it was over, we all proceeded to the beach, and Bob climbed on board the craft and took his station forward, in readiness to let go the anchor as soon as she had slid far enough off from the land. Ella took up a position under the bows, supported by my father, who instructed her how to perform the ceremony of christening after the most approved fashion, whilst Winter and I stood by to knock away the spur shores, and the second native launched and jumped into a canoe to go alongside and fetch Bob ashore as soon as his share of the duty was performed. When we had all taken our stations, "'Is everybody ready?' inquired my father. A general, "'Aye, aye,' was the response. Ella took the bottle of wine in her hand, and Winter and I poised our hammers. "'Then knock away with a will, lads!' exclaimed the skipper. A few lusty strokes brought the shores down, the schooner began to move, 
and Ella dashed the bottle against the craft's bows, exclaiming in a clear silvery voice as the wine dripped from the stern, God bless the Ada, and send her success and prosperity. We all took off our hats and cheered lustily, as the schooner rushed down the ways and plunged stern foremost into the sparkling sea. The gun went off with a sharp bang, and the native gunner instantly, with a terrific yell, sprang over the side of the cutter and struck out for the shore with all the vigor and activity that fear could impart to his movements. The schooner clove the water smoothly and easily as she drove astern, when once fairly afloat, and held her way long enough to shoot far beyond her consorts at anchor in the bay. As soon as her speed was sufficiently reduced, Bob let go his anchor, and we had the satisfaction of seeing that she floated lightly and on a perfectly even keel. As soon as Bob came on shore, he, of course, joined us, and lent his aid in admiring and praising our own handiwork, as is pretty generally the custom with all mortals, though some are not so ingenuous in the exhibition of their actual feelings as we were. And I think we had very good reason for our admiration, for the craft was more than sightly, she was decidedly handsome, and we who had put her together were, after all, it must be remembered, only unskilled amateurs, and though I think I may, without undue vanity, say that we were all prime seamen, and knew perfectly well what constituted a handsome and wholesome craft. It is one thing to know this, and quite another to make your work correspond accurately with your ideas. When we had admired the schooner to our heart's content, my father wished to know whether any one had any proposal to make as to the manner in which the remainder of the day should be spent. It appeared, from the general silence which ensued, that no one had. But, on glancing at Ella, who remained beside him, I noticed an eager look in her face, as though she would like to speak, but was restrained by a feeling of timidity. "'What is it, Ella?' inquired I. "'If no one has anything better to propose,' she replied, "'I think a picnic would be very nice, "'and I would suggest that the natives be sent on by land, "'with everything necessary, to the northern end of the island, "'opposite the poor old Amazon, "'of which we are so soon to see the last, "'and that the rest of us take Harry's tube-boat,' and sail in her quite round the island, which we newcomers have not seen very much of as yet, and stop at the point I have named. This, of course, we all cordially agreed to, though I could scarcely help smiling furtively at the idea of a picnic, when our lives had been a sort of a continuous picnic affair ever since we had been on the island, though, it is true, our pastime had consisted principally of pretty hard work. However, I made no remark, and we all returned to the house and proceeded to pack up the necessary viands, etc., 
and to start the niggers, as Bob invariably termed our black aides, in the proposed direction. When everything was ready, however, it was found that there was more than we had the conscience to ask the poor fellows to carry, willing as they were, so Ella's program was so far departed from as to send them by water in a canoe instead of by land, and as soon as they were fairly away, we shoved off in the cutter's canoe, got on board the tube boat, hauled up her grapnel, and made sail to the southward. Here another departure from the program took place, for my father was curious to see how so singular a craft behaved in open water, so as there was a nice fresh breeze blowing, and sufficient sea on outside to give him a fair idea of her qualities, we worked out through the channel as soon as we reached it, and sailed round the island outside of everything, first of all, resuming the original plan as soon as we came inside again. Both my father and Winter were much struck with the smooth and easy motion with which she took the seas, especially when going close-hauled to windward, the short choppy head-sea which the breeze had knocked up having not the slightest perceptible retarding effect upon the sharp, gently swelling tubes, which pierced the combing seas absolutely without any shock whatever. Whereas a boat of the usual mould would have pitched and jerked into them, and half blinded us and wholly wet us through with spray. And they were quite as much surprised at her stiffness, for her amount of heel was barely perceptible though we were driving her through it under whole canvas, whilst, had we been in the water lily, with a proportionate amount of sail set, she would, as stiff as she was, have been lying down gunwale under. So rapidly did she skim along over the water, too, that, notwithstanding the extra distance traversed beyond the originally proposed, we were in ample time for the meal luncheon or dinner, whichever we chose to call it, which it was arranged we should partake of picnic fashion in the open air. I was delighted to observe that both my father and Winter keenly enjoyed this short cruise outside. It was the first time, excepting when my father came out to meet us and pilot us in, that either of them had been outside the reef and that they were now fairly at sea, and with a staunch and good sea-boat under their feet, seemed an earnest of their easy escape almost more convincing than the fact that the vessel in which that escape was planned to be made was now actually in the water. Having made the tour of the island both outside and inside the reef, and admired its many beauties, we at length sat down to our meal in high spirits, and with appetites which enabled us to do the most ample justice to Ella's bounteous provision, which, it now appeared, had been in progress the whole of the previous day, in anticipation of some such arrangements as that which she had proposed. I had noticed an unusual flutter in the dear little girl's manner more than once during the morning, as well as considerable imperfectly repressed excitement, 
but I had said nothing to her about it, attributing it to that which had produced so much excitement of feeling among the rest of us, namely, the important event of the launch. This feeling of excitement still continued to animate us, but strangely enough, Ella seemed the least able of the party to control it, and it appeared to have the effect of agitating her nerves considerably. Moreover, she seemed to be singularly preoccupied over something, answering remarks at random, sometimes when she was not addressed at all, and then flushing up and apologizing confusedly. When our meal was over, a few bottles from a small stock of carefully hoarded wine from the Amazon's stores were produced, and at Ella's especial request, we four men proceeded to regale ourselves and assist digestion with the fragrant weed. The chief topic of conversation was, of course, the arrangements to be made for a speedy departure from the island. It was decided that on the following day all hands should employ themselves in getting the schooner ballasted, provisioned, and watered, and it was thought that, by hard work, all might be done in readiness for a departure at daybreak on the succeeding morning. My father, Winter, and the two blacks were to man the schooner, whilst Ella, Bob, and myself were to continue in the cutter, and it was, of course, a settled thing that we were to keep company as long as it was possible. We also decided upon certain rendezvous in case of being compelled by bad weather to part company at any particular part of the voyage. These rendezvous, I may as well mention, were Melbourne, Cape Town, St. Helena, St. Antonio, in the Cape de Verde group, and Madeira. When this topic seemed pretty well exhausted, Ella remarked nervously, It seems then, Harry, that you have quite given up the idea of making any further search for the treasure island. I have not heard it mentioned once for, oh, ever so long. I fear we must think no more of that, I replied. When the story was first told to me, it seemed an easy matter to sail direct to the spot. But the fact that some mistake has occurred somewhere with regard to its position has quite thrown us out, and to look for it among the numerous islands which constitute this archipelago would be somewhat like searching for a needle in a bundle of hay, and the chances of finding either the one or the other would be about equal, I should say. If I only held a sufficient clue to warrant the slightest hope of success, I would willingly prosecute a search, but I do not. Are you quite sure that you do not? She returned, still very nervous. Tell us the story all over again. Perhaps some useful idea may suggest itself to one or other of us, if it is all gone carefully over once more. Certainly I will, said I. If it would be only to gratify you, little one, I anticipate no further result. You must know, then, Ella and gentlemen, that the Spaniard who told me this story was on his deathbed when he confided it to me. 
he asserted that a treasure ship lay buried in the sandy beach of a certain island here in the pacific and he not only gave me the latitude and longitude of the island but he minutely described it so that i might recognize it at once and he also described certain marks whereby i might be able to fix upon the exact spot in the beach where the buried treasure ship lay and i suppose you have fixed upon your mind a kind of mental picture of this island drawn from the description given you said ella and i presume you were of opinion that you would recognize the island in a moment if you saw it exactly so i answered i can see it before me at this moment shutting my eyes as distinctly as possible there it lies about three miles away with the surf beating all around it and there in bold relief against the clear blue sky stands the isolated clump of seven coconut trees on the extreme northmost point of the island is somewhat like these that we are sitting under at this moment interrupted ella excitedly yes said i uh, certainly somewhat like these it is curious now but I, I never noticed until this moment that these trees are seven in number if now any two of them were marked in any way somewhat like this again interrupted ella as she started to her feet and placed her hand upon a very perceptible scar in the trunk of the central tree we sprang to our feet as one man infinitely more excited even than ella was and walked up to the tree and carefully examined the mark there was no mistake about it the bark had been deeply cut away with a knife and i cannot for the life of me say how it was that it had never attracted my attention unless it be that the wound was now weather-stained and by no means so conspicuous as i had pictured it in my mind perhaps it was in a great measure due to the fact that the island we were on though answering accurately to the description given of the treasure island was quite unlike the picture my imagination had conjured up now for the other mark i exclaimed it is on one or other of the remaining six trees if this really be here it is again exclaimed ella darting to a tree which stood on the edge of the clump and again pointing out a mark very similar to the first of the nature of this mark too there could be no possible doubt i seized a half-consumed stick from the embers of the expiring fire and getting the two marked trees in line i walked away from them keeping them in one until i saw just clear of the trees and bushes on the southern extremity of the island a small pinnacle of uncovered rock peering blackly out from among the snowy glittering surf i then drove the stick i held in my hand deep into the sandy beach exclaiming here lies the buried treasure ship if there be any truth in the story we'll soon set that question at rest exclaimed bob here you two niggers 
jump into this here canoe and paddle me down to the cutter as quick as you knows how. I'm off after they shovels as we laid in for this here very job, he explained, turning to me. And I'll be back again in the next to no time. Whilst he was gone, I sought and obtained an explanation from Ella of the manner in which she had made this most important discovery. It seemed that she had amused herself by wandering pretty nearly all over the island, whilst we were hard at work upon the schooner, and in one of her rambles her attention had been attracted to this very clump of trees. Their number had impressed itself upon her, and endeavouring to remember what it was she had heard or dreamed connected with seven coconut trees, the story of the treasure had suddenly flashed across her mind. This led, of course, to an examination of the trees and the discovery of the marks upon them. On the day but one preceding the launch of the schooner, and seeing that we were disposed to make the launching a day a gala day, she decided to keep her own counsel until the arrival of the day itself, and to let the revolution of the discovery be made at such a time as still further to increase our reasons for rejoicing, and upon this resolution had been based her plot for the picnic. I am so delighted, Harry, dear, she added in conclusion, that it is I who have made this discovery. You cannot think what a pleasure it is to a woman to contribute to the happiness and prosperity of the man she loves. And beside this, there is the satisfaction of knowing that, if the wealth you have spoken of really lies buried here, and I have no doubt, whatever, that it does, you will now be under no necessity for following up a profession which must inevitably have involved long separations from me. I am so happy, dearest, for I do not think I could have endured that. I was deeply affected by this, and frequent other evidences of the warmth and strength of Ella's attachment to me, and of the confiding frankness with which she revealed it, and I believe most conscientiously that the greatest gratification I derived from the discovery of the treasure arose from a knowledge of the extended power it would bestow upon me to contribute to her happiness. Bob soon returned with a couple of shovels, and springing ashore from the canoe, he handed one to Winter, and began at once to ply the other most vigorously himself, exclaiming as he did so, Ah, there you are, my lad. Now fire away as hard as you like. There's only a few feet of sand between us, and gold enough to make all our fortunes a dozen time over. So let's rouse it up, and have a look at it without any more words the two men worked with a will and soon stood in a good-sized hole about three feet deep whilst the rest of us looked on at their labours with the keenest interest at length winter's shovel struck upon something hard and he announced the fact with a joyous shout bob however still continued working away without meeting with any resistance a few more strokes of winter's shovel laid bare a small patch of damp, discoloured planking, a further proof, if we needed one, of the truth of the story. 
Bob was still digging away as hard as ever. Presently he ceased digging, and began shoveling the loose sand off a piece of the deck, or something else which he had got down to. This was soon uncovered, and we then saw that it was a piece of loose plank, which he and Winter succeeded between them in raising, and underneath it lay a dark, hollow cavity. To work they both went once more, and in a short time three or more loose planks were so far uncovered as to permit their being removed. This accomplished, it was found that we had been so fortunate as to hit, at the first trial, upon the hold through which the Spaniard had penetrated to the innermost recesses of the ship. A great deal of sand still remained to be cleared away, however, before we could get at the gold, and my father and I were on the point of relieving the two mates, when the natives, who had looked on at the operations with a great deal of interest and intelligence, stepped forward and said, No, no, now me work! and though they had probably never seen shovels in their lives before and were a little awkward at first in the handling of them they soon got into the swing of it and did their work as well as either of the others and so they kept on spell and spell the mates and the niggers neither party seeming willing that my father or i should share in the hard work and in about an hour and a half bob's shovel suddenly struck sharply upon something harder than wood he and winter were both working under the influence of powerful excitement so it was not long before they had cleared away the sand sufficiently to enable them to lay hold of and drag forth an ingot black and discoloured almost as rusty iron but heavy enough to prove most satisfactorily that it was not that metal it was handed up, and I at once proceeded to scrape away with my strong clasp-knife upon its surface, quickly establishing the fact that it was indeed the precious metal. This I considered sufficient for one day, especially as it had been agreed that it should be a holiday. So, with considerable difficulty, I at length persuaded the two mates to come out of their hole and rest after their violent exertions, and shortly afterwards our good and chattels were packed up and put on board one of the canoes in charge of the two natives, and the remainder of the party embarked in the tube boat with the gold, thirteen ingots in all, that had been brought to light. The sails were hoisted, and we ran down to the anchorage in the bay with both canoes in tow. It would be difficult to express the satisfaction which all felt at this important discovery, but to Bob and me the satisfaction was peculiarly great, for we had now accomplished all that our most sanguine expectations had led us to hope for in projecting this adventurous voyage. More indeed, for, as the reader is aware, when the subject was first mooted, we had no hope of finding my father, having quite given him up as dead. The next day saw us hard at work again, and not to dwell too long upon matters which may be passed over briefly, in three days we had the box of gems, 
and as much gold as we considered we could take. The schooner was ballasted with it, taking in, as nearly as we could calculate, twenty tons, and the precious metal was also substituted for the lead ballast of the cutter. The aperture in the deck of the buried ship was then carefully boarded over as before, the sand shoveled back into its place, and to time and the winds were left the work of completely eradicating all remaining traces of our labors. Both craft were then fully provisioned and watered, abundant preparation having already been made, and on the morning following the completion of our final arrangements, both craft made sail from the island, the Ada leading out through the channel, and stood away to the southward and westward under every stitch of canvas that would draw. We soon found, however, that in moderate weather, the water lily could sail round and round the Ada, and we had to take in our topsail and haul down a reef in our mainsail to avoid running away from her altogether. It was only when it came to double-reefed canvas that her superior power told sufficiently to produce an equality in our speeds. It seemed as though everything which we were to meet with in the shape of adventure had befallen us on the first half of our voyage, for day after day passed without anything to distinguish it from the others, and after a quick and pleasant run, we reached Melbourne just in time to catch the homeward-bound mail, and to send a hurried letter to my sister, acquainting her with the agreeable intelligence of our double success. I here had an opportunity of acquainting the proper authorities with all the circumstances connected with the destruction of the pirate brig, and of the crew being imprisoned on the island, and I afterwards learned that a cruiser had been dispatched to the spot, and that the entire band were captured, tried, condemned upon a mass of evidence, which was soon collected against them, and hanged. Here also I had the happiness of being united to the dear girl, who had in so many ways proved herself worthy of my best and strongest love, and as our story excepting the part of it which related to the finding of the treasure, had got wind, the sympathy and kind feeling showed towards us by the warm-hearted colonists was such as to convert our wedding day almost into a day of public rejoicing. All the ships, without exception, were dressed with flags, and there was a long article in one of the local papers headed, Thrilling Romance of the Sea! in which the story of Ella's rescue from the wreck told with great effect. We remained at Melbourne about a week, and then made sail once more, still with favorable winds and fine weather, until we reached the Cape of Good Hope, which we did in little more than a month, when we encountered a very strong breeze from the southward and eastward, from which we were glad enough to take shelter behind the fine breakwater in the bay. Here we again filled up provisions and water, and once more dispatched letters home. By the time that we had done what we wanted, the gale was over, and we lost no time in making a fresh start. 
We soon got into the southeast trades, and as they happened to be blowing strong, we made the best of them, and did not attempt to stop at St. Helena. We were fortunate again in crossing the line, getting a little slant of wind, which carried us handsomely across the usually calm belt which so tries the patience of the homeward-bound seamen at that spot. And, after a remarkably fine passage of thirty-nine days from Table Bay, we found ourselves at anchor in Funchal Roads. One of the canoes, both of which the schooner carried on deck, was got out, and my father and I went ashore to the post office, where we found, as we expected, letters from my sister in answer to ours from Melbourne. My poor father was completely unmanned by the warmth of affection breathed forth in my sister's letter to him, and I was scarcely less so at the delight she manifested at our safety and success, and the warm sympathy with which she responded to the timid message my letter had conveyed to her from her unknown sister. We hurriedly got in a stock of wine, and once more made sail, and after a baffling passage of a fortnight against headwinds in light airs and calms, reached Weymouth Bay on a most lovely evening in the last week of June, having accomplished our voyage round the world with all its delays in somewhat under eleven months. The moment that we were at anchor, one of the canoes was got into the water, and my father, Bella, and I were paddled ashore by the two natives, who could now speak English tolerably well, and had accustomed themselves to the use of civilized clothing. Bob and Winter, remaining on board their respective craft that night, to take care of them. We landed at the flight of steps at the pier end, and made the best of our way at once to my aunt's house. My sister was there, eagerly expecting us, for it appeared that she had been on the esplanade, listening to the strains of the regimental band, and had recognized the water-lily as we drew in towards the anchorage. I will pass over in silence the rapturous meeting which ensued, for the feelings of all were of too deep and sacred a character for so inexperienced a pen as mine to deal with. Suffice it to say that we all enjoyed on that evening one of those short seasons of perfect, unalloyed happiness which are occasionally permitted even here on earth. Little now remains to be told. We succeeded after a vast amount of hard work and difficulty in turning our gold into cash, and the proceeds were equally divided among us five whites, the result being, as I suppose, I need hardly say, a magnificent fortune to each. Winter, like the honest fellow that he was, immediately married the girl who had consented to share his uncertain fortune as a seaman, and the two blacks attached themselves, as a matter of course, to my father's establishment. As for Bob, he asserted roundly that his gold would be of no use or value to him if I uh, turned him adrift, uh, so he became. I need scarcely say with my hearty goodwill, 
a fixture in my establishment, and his whole thoughts are now set on being made sailing master of a fine schooner yacht which is building for me. I found out Ella's relations, and communicated the fact of her rescue from the wreck, and of her having become my wife, but I said nothing respecting our immense wealth, merely stating that I was possessed of a comfortable independency, as I wished to ascertain whether they were willing to receive her as a relative, on her own and her mother's account. I regret, for the sake of human nature, to say that the interview was eminently unsatisfactory, and I left their house with a mental resolve that my wife should never, with my consent, enter the doors of such unnatural relatives. The End End of Chapter 20 Recording by Ken Felt End of For Treasure Bound by Harry Collingwood